0: This podcast features explicit language and spoilers. Hello, and welcome to Better Late Than Never. This is our October-based Halloween Fright Fest, sponsored by Macy's. (laughs) This week, I am joined by Justin and Ben, and we are going to be continuing our homage to the world's most famous Mainer, Stephen King. Last time we did Pet Cemetery. This time we're doing a slightly more high profile movie and that is The Shining, a film that my guests have seen, but I have not. So I will be the guinea pig this time around. So will the movie live up to the hype? We'll have to find out and see. Justin and Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dave. And happy Halloween. (laughs) Happy decorative gourd season. Whoa, nothing more terrifying than the orange gourd. Can you eat
1: them? Can you not? Can you eat them raw? I forget. Can you not? Can you not eat them? Can you stop eating my decorative gourds, Dave? I mean, you did such a great job on them. I... (laughs) On what buying them (laughs) and placing them, (laughs) they're just so good,
2: (laughs) excellent gourd. Also,
1: Mainer is that how you refer to a person from Maine? Isn't it? (laughs) I get well, you wouldn't say Mainite, Mainite, Mainonian,
0: Mainonian, maybe could be. They like to sound like they're the most important people in the world, yeah, yeah. Well, so anyway, welcome to the show. Guys, you, you have both seen The Shining.
2: Yes, several times for for me.
0: Do you uh, have any sort of feelings about it? Are you fans? Are you not fans?
1: I
2: like it. You like which it, which is, I have to say, meaningful because I dislike usually scary movies, but um, but this one, I I I like. Yeah. That was I'm actually th- going
0: to be my follow-up question, which mm-hmm. is how do you feel about horror? But uh, yeah. Justin- Horror you- category,
1: not my horror. thing,
2: but The Shining, I like,
1: Yeah, I'm into. You're a horror who hates horror. <laughs> um, I'm a big fan of the movie, I guess. I think, you know what? To be honest, I don't even know if I'm a huge fan of the movie, but I think mm-hmm. I really like it. And I've seen it many times. And I- don't I don't know. I'm like taking a moment to be real. Like I I'm mm-hmm. kind of like unsure now how I feel about it. And I'm I'm we'll see how I feel upon re-watching it. It's one of those movies you can't like put your finger on. I think I I think what I'm questioning right now is I initially was like, of course I like it. I love it. It's the shining. And then I was like, do I really love it? Or is it just because the world has told me to love it? Mm. Yeah. And sex guessing yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm open to disliking it if that's what happens this time.
2: (laughs) I was going to say for me, I, I think I can't, I mean, I can't confirm, but I I feel like I have this strong memory of it being the first horror movie or scary movie I watched.
1: Really? At all?
2: Yeah. Like, yeah, I feel like I have this memory of watching it at a, a, at a friend's place and like when I was younger as a sleepover or something. How old were you? maybe 10 and were you terrified by it yeah yeah oh yeah i was scared as heck Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah well
0: see i'm at this point pretty hard to scare and given Mm -hmm. that this movie is pretty old and also we'll get into it but i think i know basically what's going to happen i don't think it's going to scare me too much but i am wondering if i'll still think it's a good film because you know, it's like what you said, Justin, the reputation of it is so high. It's one of those films where everybody's telling me I should, that you
1: should like this movie. I mean, it's kind of the movie for your podcast, because that's the whole thing, right? It's yeah. like when people are like, I can't believe you've never seen... The
0: reason why I'm the guinea pig for this one is because, so I knew I was doing Pet Cemetery and I thought... It'd be great to just do a Stephen King theme for the whole, the whole month. And I thought the shining is a great film to be the follow-up. And then I just could not find another person who hadn't seen the shining. Everyone has seen it except for me. I'm the, I appear to be the only one.
2: It is a weird movie for you not to have seen for you specifically. Have you done a podcast before where both you and the guest hadn't seen a movie? Has that Mm -hmm. happened? Yeah, I I've, I've done oh. them where
0: neither of us have seen it. I've done them where I'm the only one. Okay. Uh, so it's I, kind of all I, directions. Yeah, I think every combination at this yeah. point has been done.
2: I should say too full dis- like when you told me, Justin, that we were going to be watching The Shining because Dave hadn't seen it, I had that exact reaction where mm-hmm. I was like, "Really?" That's, you know, He actually, I was, I was like, unbelievable. He spat
1: on the ground.
2: <laughs> I was drinking at the time and I just spit it, you know, all over. He was disgusting.
0: <laughs> and then he cursed your name. <laughs> Punched a mirror. Um, the reason though is, I was going to save it for later, but why not just go into it right now. The reason I haven't seen it is because I feel like I've already seen it. Right. So... I've seen so many parodies of it, you know, like there's the Simpsons Simpsons, have done a riff on it. Oh yeah. And God knows how many other things have done it. And also, uh, you know, it's in so many clip shows, there are clips from it. And, you know, you can also just sort of catch it on TV while flipping channels that I sort of feel like, I'll bet that I've seen every single minute of The Shining, just out of order. So there's no part of it I haven't seen. I just haven't seen it chronologically from beginning to end. Uh-huh. Yeah. So in some ways I feel like this is even a pointless endeavor. I've seen The Shining, I just haven't seen it correctly.
1: Right. But do you know... Okay, so obviously there's a, a few scenes that you know of that you've seen recreated or probably caught glimpses of oh yeah um i mean i can i can probably guess but do you want to list them off really quickly because then i have a question that's kind of like i think maybe more interesting but i was gonna
2: add too that i think there are so many iconic scenes and lines from this movie that appear elsewhere and i also feel like when you were saying that dave i had this immediate thought of I feel like The Shining has reached a point where it's so kind of iconic and ref- um, easily referenced. It even appears in other movies, like, you know, for, you know in Twister, when they're at the drive-in. Yeah. The movie on screen is, and you only see it for a short period of time, but you immediately know it's Shining, The Shining. Yeah. Well, so it's because it's, like it's so iconic, you only yeah, have to show a second film.
0: of it for people to know exactly what it is. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And- of course,
1: of course, you would reference Twister. It's- <laughs> ben loves Twister. It's ben has- oh my film. god,
0: it's like my favorite movie. It really is so good. Ben I'm has on- like
1: a reverse gay crush
2: on Sandra Bullock. <laughs> <laughs> no, isn't but it? She's a- not in that. That's Helen Hunt. Oh, Helen. Yeah, Hunt. yeah. Get that. it right, Justin. I'm not deni- Look, I'm not denying the reverse the reverse gay crush on Sandra Bullock, but she's not in that movie.
0: I just think it's an amazing plot when the corporate sellout tornado hunters get their uh, comeuppance. (laughs) Yeah,
2: get their comeuppance. (laughs) Oh my God. In really the most gruesome way too.
1: Okay, so as quickly as you can, list off all the scenes you expect to see. Mm -hmm. Well- you know, catchphrases and all. Can I recite the whole movie?
0: Um, (laughs) Well, that's sort of, before I do, I just want to say that's what I kind of think is going to be interesting about this for me, which is, you know- this movie has reached such a cultural saturation point that it it is kind of begging the exact question that the podcast is based on, which is that can you absorb a movie completely just through cultural osmosis without ever actually sitting down and watching it? So this'll be like a real test case. So, okay.
1: Well, I think this is, I'm, I'm interjecting now before you have a chance to say, I think this is such an interesting movie to to discuss this with because it's so uh, no, actually I don't want to say anything because I don't want to like go into too much detail. (laughs) Idiosyncratic, Maybe I was going to say like, it's so unique on many levels. And I think Mm. I'd be, I'm, I'm really curious to see if anything that you expect will actually be met. All right. So, here's the breakdown.
0: Stanley Kubrick, who's a director I run very hot and cold with. Uh, he has some movies that I love, some movies that I really don't care for. Actors. Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, Scatman Crothers. There's a kid. I don't know who the actor is. Um, plot is um, Jack Nicholson is either married to or in a long-term relationship with Shelly Duvall, who has the kid. He's a writer who's down on his luck and is maybe either an alcoholic or a recovering alcoholic, because this is based on a Stephen King book. <laughs> they, he gets a job to be a caretaker at a hotel that's in the off season that means they're the only ones there. So the whole place is empty and that gives it this awesome creepiness. They go out there. Scatman Carruthers is like the employee who shows them around. And then he notices that the little boy, because it's a Stephen King book, the little boy has telepathy and that's the shining He's like, you got the shining. Cause we know that from the Simpsons thing. Cause Willie's like, you got the shinning.
2: <laughs> um, that was a, an impeccable Scottish accent I just wanted mm-hmm. to add Oh well Oh thank you a lot <laughs> uh, Then
0: because they're all alone there And he's not getting any work done Jack Nicholson completely unravels And slowly goes insane And he starts uh, I guess he starts drinking too much Because I know there are scenes In a bar where there's a ghost bartender and he doesn't manage to write anything because there's the scene where Shelley Duvall discovers the typewriter and it's covered with all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Um, and he flips out. He chases her with a baseball bat, but she gets the best of him and knocks him out. But it's not good enough. So he gets loose and chases them with an ax. And that's where you get the, um, him, ch- this is the real iconic scene, like the most iconic scene, uh, him chopping through the bathroom door with the, here's Johnny, <laughs> which I, for most of my life, I never actually knew was a reference to Johnny Carson. I just thought it was from The Shining. Right. I, I didn't realize it meant something else um
1: i mean it doesn't really make that much sense that yeah to our minds probably someone in like 1980 watching it would be like
2: yeah i imagine they got it yeah Yeah. that's like such a you know on a side note that here's johnny really transcended generations because when the movie came out obviously people were thinking oh that's referencing johnny carson but people of our generation who've seen the shining just think oh it's the shining yeah no <laughs> so it's seriously. like transcended gen- generations
0: i i was a full on adult before it ever got through to me that that was not just something from the shining so yeah um little uh little billy or whatever uh danny i forget. danny boy's name is danny i think um he uses The Shining to bring Scatman Crothers back, but as we know from what happened to Willie, he just gets axed in the back and killed. Um, but they manage to escape out into the maze, the hedge maze outside, um, and it's a blizzard, and they lose him in the hedge maze. And he freezes to death, just like Randy at the end of that South Park episode. (laughs) And you see him frozen like a popsicle at the end in like frozen on the ground. And there's a couple of other striking images that happen along the way, like the ghost bartender, like um, the elevator full of blood. Uh, There's an elevator that like opens up and it's full of blood that just comes pouring out, which is pretty cool. And um, there's, uh, there's the twins, the twin girls, the come play with us. Come play with us, that. Danny. I was waiting for that. Yeah. Uh, so th- there's all kinds of like creepy haunted house shit that keeps happening the whole time, too. Um, and that actually was something that I did catch when I was younger on TV that scared the crap out of me when I was growing up the twin oh, girls. Yeah. Oh, the childhood me experience. So bad. That childhood
1: experience of like glimpsing a quick scene from a horror movie on TV right. and then looking away somehow I think has more of a scarring effect than mm. actually watching a whole movie.
0: Yeah, you know what that happened to me with was um Child's Play, the Chucky
1: movie. Oh shit!
0: Yeah, <laughs> that little
1: doll man. <laughs> I had. I, I never had, watched Chucky. I forget which. I don't even well, know which movie because it was. It
0: scared me so bad.
1: I remember walking through my grandparents' kitchen and the TV was on and it was a horror movie and I just saw like hands coming out of the ground one zombie after the movie. other. Yeah, It was zombie a zombie movie, movie yeah. or something. And like, I that scarred me for a long time.
2: For me, it was this movie and The Exorcist. The Exorcist. Those were the two uh, that did it for me as a kid. I was terrified.
0: Yeah. yeah, I had to wait till high school before I could handle The Exorcist but that's all i got for the shining but i think i i think i got
1: it i'm pretty yeah, sure I'm, the more accurate detail you uncover the more i don't un- understand why but it made me angry like why do you <laughs> know all of this it's not fair for some reason, it doesn't feel fair. Like, you shouldn't know. Or, like, the world has, like, robbed you of the experience of seeing this movie <laughs> for what it is or something.
0: Because think of, like, just between the two parodies, the Simpsons episode and the South Park episode. Those alone will give you a bunch. The movie uh, Ready Player One had an entire scene that's a shining riff.
1: Hmm.
0: Um, You know, do you guys know that movie? I know that
2: movie, but I don't recall that. Uh...
1: Yeah, I do... I part. do remember that, actually. Yeah, there's a lot of... I mean, a lot of movies are referenced in, in that movie. It's like in their virtual reality world.
0: I mean, there's the scene from having watched Twister 25, 30 times.
2: You know, yeah. I, I know <laughs> that's, that part. 25 to 30 times minimum. Yeah. Right. But what's
1: going to be interesting is like, you. so you know a lot of the plot, general plot points, and a few of the scenes, and you have a sense of like the kinds of roles different people play. But this movie has uh encouraged and inspired like you know so many different theories and interpretations and mm-hmm.
0: right uh it, like they faked the moon landing with it or something like that.
1: Well uh, I guess yeah there's there's some Stanley Kubrick is wrapped into this one conspiracy theory that mm-hmm. I'm surprised to hear that you're like hot and cold as Stanley Kubrick. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah I I mean I went through such a big phase where I was like you know, completely in love with his, his movies. And I think this, I think that's the reason I was like, yeah, I love the shining It's Stanley Kubrick, but then I like, I, I don't know anyways, but well,
0: his work, I think is obviously um, incredible from a technical like craftsman perspective, but um, and this isn't exactly like a, you know, shockingly original observation or anything, but it does sometimes leave me a little cold.
1: I guess he like from things I, and in part two. I guess we'll talk about this in more detail, but um, he was kind of known to be really difficult to work with and kind of an asshole. And like, mm. especially in the, the from from like a twenty first century perspective, it's like oh yeah, there's, there's a lot of shit in in his movies that are like this is not, this would not be okay. Anymore. Not
0: nice to the ladies then? Uh,
1: yeah. Like, and also just like, I mean, it's, it's hard to tell, like, is it um, just uncomfortable? Cause it's a portrait. A lot of it is like, you know, a portrait of a certain type of toxic masculinity and like violence. And it's kind of putting that on display or is it glorifying it? Or is it, you know, like. I don't
2: right. Know. You gotta, you gotta figure that out. I, I did uh, really enjoy your kind of narrative Dave of like stringing together the scenes you've seen all, through the years and then, you know, stringing those into a movie narrative. That was it, really well, entertaining. I
0: was trying to guess the chronology. <laughs> yeah.
2: I love it. Like, you know, this feels like it would
0: build to this to that, to this. And, and of course, you know, the, the episodes of par- the parody episodes help too. Yeah. So definitely. I can remember where the high points are, but okay. Is there anything I'm forgetting? That I feel like I need to get down as a prediction, or do you guys have any um, any questions? I do. You where do you, yeah. where do you
2: think this movie was filmed? Like, where do you think the hotel was? That actual oh,
0: hotel? Uh, see, with Stephen King, I I always want to say Maine, no matter what. But this was this. I, I know what the outside looks like. Cause I've seen the exterior shot of the hotel and it looks like the mountains, you know, so it, it doesn't look like Maine at all. So I would guess like Wyoming. Wyoming. So like the Rockies. Yeah. 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 All right. Oh, you know what else Uh, I've seen that's helpful to me knowing a lot about this movie, that amazing recut of the trailer for this film that recuts it to be a uh like a happy family uh drama shining. <laughs> yeah I've never shining. seen,
1: that. Yeah, I I've never I seen have, that. I think I have seen that. I oh my god.
0: That. I'll I, I will put it in the show notes. It's okay incredible. <laughs> I want to see it. And I'll send it to you guys. All right. I anything th- else? I feel like
1: um I don't think so. Yeah. I mean yeah I feel like you were able to summarize so many details about this movie that you've never seen. And that made me angry for a reason I don't understand. And now I guess we'll watch it. Well, well, think about why it made you angry, though, because we can talk about
0: that when we come back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, like, why did it upset you? And do you think that it's something that other movies might have going with, you know, going with them, too? And is that something you
1: feel like culturally is a problem? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll have to sit with that feeling and try to figure it out. I have a few ideas.
0: Okay. And just for me, the other thing I do want to say before I actually sit down to the work of watching it is, um, I do wonder whether or not I'll like it. Cause like I said, some Kubrick movies I like, you know, like, um, Doctor Strange Love, I think, is one of my favorite films. Whereas on the flip side, um, I think 2001 is an amazing-looking film, but I don't really enjoy it to watch very much. Ugh, Dave, Sorry, my buddy. jaw is on the floor right I now. <laughs> I don't find it a very fun, fun movie watching experience. I mean, I know it's a very important film and it's great and everything, but it's like I very rarely actually want to watch 2001. And it leaves me very cold too. It just, I can't connect with it emotionally. So where's this movie going to fall on that spectrum? You know, am I going to, especially because horror is such a visceral uh, genre of film, like because I have anticipated a lot of it, it'll be difficult to find it scary, but will it even be able to like connect on that, emotional level will be an interesting question. Cause that's sort of what horror tries to do. And you don't even have to scare me to at least accomplish that much. So that'll be a challenge for the film. And that is something it could still do. So hoping for that. Nice. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, in that case, Let's go watch The Shinning. The movie.
1: I can't wait to watch The Shinning. This is going to be good. Oh, You got The Shinning. <laughs> it's a great day for a Shinning. A great day for
0: a <laughs> This is The Shinning. And so, that was The Shining. Ah! (laughs) Uh, So, you guys, you just watched it for the
1: bazillionth time last night. Mm -hmm. How'd it hold up? I'm not sure how many times I've seen it, to be honest. And I thought I'd seen it Recently, but I think it's been years. Really, I think so. I think somehow I had confused. done done a bit of self
2: misinformation. Well, we know. also recently watched the Doctor Sleep. Yeah, we watched which Doctor Sleep. It's sort is... of a sequel, and so I think also maybe you're maybe you got confused with that because that was only maybe a month ago or maybe something. Yeah. Anyways,
1: I really enjoyed rewatching it. Mm-hmm. I had a great time. I am. Uh, it, it definitely like. Solidified
2: my opinion that I love this movie Okay, so you're no
0: longer on the fence about it
2: Uh, No, I would endorse that wholeheartedly As the movie ended and the credits rolled I was just like, well, I'm so glad we watched that again
1: Mm.
0: Well, I don't want to give away everything that I'm going to say But I felt pretty good by the end of this movie too Um, The suspense. Yeah, uh, it it was quite good. Even having had a lot of my uh, predictions turned out turning out to be true, uh, there were a lot of things about it that still were really great. You know, yeah. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's not about necessarily being surprised by the plot; it's more about seeing the execution of it. Yeah. And you know, maybe and I ha- yeah. just being surprised by the details,
1: you know? I have to say, I think, okay, like, the, you know, ye- yesterday or when we talked, should we pretend that it was earlier today for the sake <laughs> of the podcast? No, we, it's not the first time that we've done it over multiple days. Because <laughs> yesterday night. Was... Oh my God. I've spilled the beans. We ruined it. You've um, ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So when we when we spoke yesterday, You got so mad. I was so mad. You were livid. I do think, I think disappointed would have been a better word. I think. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. I'm just disappointed (laughs) in you. Uh, (laughs) I thought about it afterwards. And I think the reason I felt that way is because, you know, when you like love something and then you want to show it to somebody else and you're excited for them to experience it. Oh, yeah. And even though I was on the fence about whether I liked it or not, I knew you know, it's, I'm, I was not on the fence about the fact that this is like a culturally significant film. And I felt disappointed that you were not gonna be able to have the, the full experience of going into it blindly. But then surprisingly re-watching it, knowing that you had sort of spelled out all the plot points allowed me to focus on everything beyond the plot. And I think I enjoyed it even more with that in mind.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I sort of had the same experience. I think I know what you're talking about, too, where you introduce people to stuff and you want to get the vicarious thrill of their discovery of it for the first time. And it's like you know watching one wants, it for the first time again.
1: And no one wants to be in that position of like watching someone while someone's watching them watch it. Right <laughs> no, but, I you it's, know. it's not good for anyone That well, equation <laughs>
0: But still like you know If you've seen a lot of stuff The only way you can get thrills anymore Is to vulture it off of virgins You know <laughs> <laughs> So
1: What about like
2: What you post- gotta do Plot you know I guess plot points or scenes You were aware of prior aside What How did those stand up once seeing them in the context of the movie. So the ones that I knew about Yeah, like the ones I, that you had maybe prior yeah. seen or prior knowledge of, you know, how how did those kind of stand up well, when that's you saw the them thing in the is in the that movie? In the context.
0: They, they wound up being executed to a point where uh mostly, I mean, there were a couple of parts that I could criticize, and I'll I'll point them out when we come, but for the most part, the way the movie was made was strong enough where it really didn't matter that I would know what was coming or if I'd seen a clip of it before or anything like that. It just was still so good, either like the acting was so good or a particular shot was so interesting. All sorts of stuff was there for me to pick up on or enjoy or think about that. It was there was just enough of a, a feast for me to to dine on in this movie that the one thing wasn't everything. so there was enough to enjoy despite all of that. so it it held up.
1: That's exactly the word I was thinking of. yeah like, this movie's a real feast mm-hmm. like yeah. visually it's acting. the the amount of specific choices that were made um, yeah. Like, I have, every, yeah. I have a specific thing for that. When you're talking about choices,
0: it was I had a sense that this was going to be the case right away from the moment it started. Because um, let me pull up the note, because I took I took some notes on this. Um, <laughs> it's at the very beginning, the the opening shots when the car is driving yeah. up to the hotel, and it's it's a cool shot, and the it's music got, is great the spooky music really yeah. sets a tone right so and much so. it's a lonely road with this like yellow vw beetle that stands out really clearly on the landscape and then what happens is the credits start to come up the the opening credits and even the credits are done in a kind of weird, unusual way. It's like mm-hmm. these stark blue credits that kind of pop up and roll by. And that's a little strange and unsettling. And so mm-hmm. I'm like, man, they even thought about how they wanted to do the credits at the mm-hmm. beginning. You know, they mm-hmm. put some thought into that. So I felt like that was a good sign the movie which like
1: arguably always there's, i think thought always has to go into those things but the extent at which these things were thought of and the extent at which everything there's a there's a, a consistency in all the choices but every the sort of logic behind it almost seems like it's behind a veil like we don't really fully understand what he's trying to do but it has a really powerful effect mm-hmm. and it's very consistent yeah. sometimes yeah
0: I, i'm not sure i got everything there are a couple of things though that i think i did understand and well just from a like technical standpoint and i thought were very smart but
2: i guess we'll get into that mm-hmm. um catchphrase i the just want to before we move on i want to say i love the opening scene of this movie it's like one of my favorite opening scenes of any movie i've ever seen it draws you yeah in. so effective. it's mesmerizing. It was one of those
0: situations where I wasn't sure if it was the opening scene or if it was going to be the production company logo.
2: <laughs> <laughs> true, true. The first, like, like, as it goes over the lake and there's like the center little island. Right. Yeah, like, totally. What is You it? were expecting it to kind of freeze and be like, like motion t- pictures. Turn into yeah. like a graphic or
1: with a little. <laughs> it, yeah. Exactly suddenly
2: mean. become like a painting. Yep. yep. That'd be a typical one. Yeah. A boy fishes into the lake.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dreamscape protections. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so true. All right. Um. So I didn't do a ton of background on this, but to get it out there, we all know that this is based on a book, right? Yeah. Yep.
1: Based on a book. I haven't Se- read the book. By Stefan Kinge.
0: Stefan Kinge wrote The Shining. I have not read it either. For the last mm-hmm. episode, we read Pet Cemetery, but
1: I didn't have... Time to do it for this one. Sorry. You know, I was thinking also about the directorial choices that allowed for the way this was translated into a movie, knowing that like how, you know, so many Stephen King books and novellas and whatever have been turned into movies and TV shows and The quality varies greatly from one to the next. Yep, Uh, some are (laughs) fantastic, some are terrible. But this one, (laughs) (laughs) this one stands out uh, in a way. I think keeping that whole like body of work of the as a genre, as as a genre, like the yeah book to screen Stephen King adaptations, um, it really highlights. I think the strength of Stanley Kubrick's mm-hmm. directorial efforts yeah. and uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Well, speaking of Kubrick, uh,
0: let's dive into him a little bit. Cause I know I shocked and appalled you guys last night by saying that <laughs> 2001 wasn't my favorite movie of all time. Um, <laughs> what uh, do you guys think of him in general? Do you have some particular favorites or least favorites from his work? What do you think of Mr. Kubrick?
2: I mean, I, I, I would say in general, I really like his movies. I have, I found that I've always really loved watching his movies. Um, I think The Shining's like one of my favorites which is a lot for me to say almost because I, I, don't, use, I don't really like horror movies but um, I love the, I loved The Shining. And I, I mean, I like others as well. Like Dr. Strangelove is great, a classic. Yeah, um, I I will go on record and say that I love 2001: A Space Odyssey. <laughs> you've never, I'm not been saying ben, I don't you... like it. To be <laughs> Dave doesn't like it. <laughs> yeah. Ben, you've never
1: it. seen Full Metal Jacket, right? No, Which that one I've knows? never
2: That's seen. I liked nice. Eyes Wide Shut, even although I know that one didn't get the most positive
1: yeah, reviews.
2: It's... And that, wasn't that his last one? Right. Yeah. 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 yeah okay. When, I like that one too.
1: Dave, do you like? We watched Full Metal Jacket a lot in high school.
0: You so. I, I broke it down like this. So the ones that I really like are Dr. Strangelove, Paths of Glory, and now The Shining. Oh, spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Full Metal Jacket is broken into two parts. I would include part one of Full Metal Jacket here in the I Really Like It section. Then there's the second section, which is the ones of his that... I really respect, but I don't love them personally. And that would be like 2001 or uh, Spartacus, I think is a really good film, but I just didn't emotionally connect to very much. And then there are the movies by his that I didn't really like very much. Don't tell me you don't like like Barry Lyndon. I I haven't gotten to that one yet, (laughs) but uh, I didn't really like Clockwork Orange. I didn't really like Eyes Wide Shut. And then Full Metal Jacket Part Two, I would put in here.
1: You haven't seen Barry Lyndon? I haven't seen Barry Lyndon. Oh, I really love that. I mean, it's it's an epically long movie. I think mm. it's over three hours long.
0: I'm um, never going to see a, a long movie ever again.
1: <laughs> I,
0: <laughs> I, I mean, okay, for and me... There's a, wait, just real quick, though. There's a complicated one in here that I'm not sure what to say, but uh, I love AI. Which of course is a movie that's kind of uh, complicated because it was worked on heavily by him before he passed away, and then was completed by Steven Spielberg. So I
1: didn't know. that. I didn't know that either. I didn't know that he had anything to do with AI. AI.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, AI was uh, gonna be made by Stanley Kubrick, and then hmm. and I think he put a lot of pre production work into it before he passed, and then is um, that the one with Robin Spielberg Williams? finished it for him. No, no uh you're thinking of bicentennial man oh maybe? yeah bicentennial, bicentennial. man also, I love... Haley Joel Osment. oh yeah okay
1: okay and um that other first guy. rock no uh jude law jude law i don't know why i was doing this thing with my hand like i was trying to like <laughs> massage this, you you know, this guy this guy this, this, this guy <laughs> um i didn't yeah i guess for me Stanley Kubrick, I feel like it's a nostalgic attachment that I have because when I was like a teenager and in my early 20s, I really feasted on a lot of his movies and rewatched them. And it was like, I think around the time that I was starting to get in tune with the crossover between like painting, which I've always really loved and filmmaking, like how cinematography and directorial choices can um, kind of capture very painterly yeah. approaches to filmmaking I think we'll um, have more to say about that when we get mm-hmm. into the movie I mean and he's one of the, the big voices in western filmmaking around this and I think uh, I think I don't know I think that's one of the reasons why Barry Lyndon is a, a movie I really love because it, it's oh. filmed in a very specific way uses a lot of natural lighting and candlelight and there's a way in which um, lighting is captured in that movie that I've never seen in any other movie that's interesting. Um, I hadn't heard that about that movie before. Maybe
0: I will give that one a chance actually.
1: It's from what I remember, it was filmed with a very specific type of camera that was hardly ever used for anything else. I'm And like my memory on this is really vague, but it was a camera that was able to capture low light uh, in a way that others weren't and allowed him to shoot candlelit scenes.
0: Hmm. okay
1: but anyways yeah i haven't seen that one either actually 2001 space odyssey just blows my mind for the special effects of the era and also i i love slow moving movies with very little dialogue and i love how i love love being transported into outer space
2: (laughs) i love boring movies so much (laughs) um Let's talk about the cast a little bit. Wait, can we, before we move on from Kubrick, can I say one thing about him that I really love too? I, and I commented on this last night while we were watching The Shining. It's like, I just find his cinematography and this, you know, the camera angle choices are so on point. Like they often, I I feel, make the scene or make, you know, what you're seeing. And I know that's, you know, maybe a bit like, naive to say for a movie obviously that's the case but i do think like there are several moments of the shining especially where the where the camera is placed in the scene is is it just really makes it one of them that stands out for me is when um uh shelly what's her last shelly duval duval puts jack nicholson in the free in the storage area where the food is and she you know locks the door and and he 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 gets up and he starts yelling at her outside, and the camera is like he's from below up at him. Yeah, from below up at kind of his chin, and he's got yeah. his arms on the door and he's yelling. And it th- that angle just makes that scene. It makes it so much more scary, so much more you know aggressive. I don't know. So I that's actually one, um, definitely. I, I YouTubed some behind the scenes
0: footage last night before I went to bed, and I actually saw. As part of that, the moment where Kubrick decided on doing that shot. Really? Yeah. See, Interesting. If you just hop on YouTube and look up behind the scenes, The Shining, and you'll find that moment. Mm, it's, cool. it, it was like on the fly that he decided so to smart. shoot it that way. And I i was actually going to save it for later, but fuck it. Let's oh, talk about it right now, it. the cinematography a little bit. A, a major thing that I noticed about the cinematography in this movie was um, especially um, as they were uh, being shown around the hotel in the beginning, there were all of these lateral tracking shots where they were kind of spaced out in a row, Abbey Road style so that they were walking across the frame and being tracked laterally.
2: From a kind of and, far away, too.
0: Yeah, but yeah. also not just a little bit far away, but also in a cavernous room. Mm-hmm. So the rooms themselves are very deep. There's a yawning expanse behind them, and I uh, what I feel like he was doing with this is um, he. So much of this movie is, you know, trying to make them feel isolated and alone and small in these giant places. And there's only so much you can really do within the confines of a frame, especially side to side or up and down. And so the way he managed to get past that limitation is to use depth. So Smart, he, yeah. yeah, he showed so much enormous space behind them, the depth yeah. of it. And so all those times when he's sitting at the desk writing, he has Shelly Duvall walking all this way up to him yeah all this way away from him up and Mm -hmm. down through the depth of the frame
1: that's so true you're constantly reminded of the fact that you're surrounded by empty space like that
2: yawning space too and the distance between you know jack torrance and wendy his wife like the actual you know mental distance between them is reflected physically through that as well. True. You know yeah, I mean? yeah. Like, cause he's getting further and further away from her or they're getting further and further away from each other. Yeah. Um, two and others stand out for me too, so which is alone. like when yeah. Shelly walks, you know, he, she goes to find him after um, she thinks that uh, Jack Nicholson has hurt their son. And, and then she finds the empty desk and the typewriter and the camera angle is sort of behind the typewriter. And she slowly comes up to look at what's in the typewriter. And you just yeah. start to see the top of her head appear like that is so smart. Um, and the other one is when he's, you know, swinging the ax at, at the doors, uh, and the camera's following the ax. Do you know what I mean? So like, as the ax goes back, the camera actually follows the ax going back. And then as it the, hits the door, it follows, it goes really fast and hits the door. So you almost get the sense of the viewer of like this swinging ax by the camera. Well, that brings
0: up actually
2: one last thing,
0: which is, um, another thing that we have happened in this movie is in order to, um add to all the stuff that we've already been talking about, like how alone and isolated everybody is. And to add to the fact that the hotel itself is kind of like a maze, you know, you've got the hedge maze, but the hotel itself is kind of like a maze too. Um, The camera follows everybody a lot, like from either from behind or kind of like sort of following from the front and like Mm -hmm. taking all these turns with people and everything. And they were able to do that. Because this is one of the not the literal first, but within the very first few movies that was ever made with a cam, mm-hmm. which allows you to uh, follow someone like that without having to lay a dolly track. Yeah, I have the like, camera all like you know, nauseous. Yeah, yeah, I read shaky. about
1: that too. Yeah, it's like the the contraption that hooks onto a person's body but has hydraulics that compensate for your movement so it keeps the camera completely steady even though you're walking around yeah
0: we take it for granted now but back then it was and not only do we take it for granted but frankly i don't think i've seen it put to such good use as often
1: as i have in this movie
2: Mm -hmm. i actually
1: think like we have gotten into i mean this probably happened a long time ago i'm not speaking from a place of a lot of knowledge but i think stylistically now it's it's like I'm, we're more used to seeing shows in which we want to feel a person's presence behind the camera.
0: Yeah. Well, we like found footage because it adds a certain uh, pretend sense of uh, verisimilitude. So it, we want it to be shaky because it makes us it gives a, a sense that there actually is a person filming, you know, because we want to we We just want to watch the footage that's all (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right so that was cool now let's talk about the cast yeah okay what do we think of jack nicholson as jack torrance
1: i mean he is a tour de force Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like i i was just like glued to his performance and i think uh I personally feel like he was the only real thing about this movie that was scary. His character development. Yeah. Like, yeah. Everything else that there, there's no like real scares and even the other parts, like the, the ghosts, the like, you know, spirits that Danny encounters and any scene in which he, that, you know, that's accompanied by that high pitched shrill sound. Mm -hmm, Yeah. mm -hmm. The whistle, which I think some people would say like, those are meant to be the scary scenes in the in the movie. I don't necessarily think so. I think the real core of what's scary about this is seeing uh, the psychology of his unfolding yeah. I, violent character.
2: I think yeah. he, I agree. I think he is, like his acting in this movie is an amazing. I think there are several points, even, even watching this movie now, maybe eight times, this is like maybe the eighth or 10th time, there are still moments of this movie when in when he is acting that give me actual chills, and it happened last night too. Like there are terrifying moments, and there, it's all because of the way that he's behaving, and the way that he's acting. And I, I saw, I think his acting is incredible in this movie.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I I was, you know, startled a bunch of times and unsettled and unnerved a bunch of times, mm-hmm. but um, this movie worked because it didn't even have to be a horror movie it was like a portrait of a man's mental breakdown yeah totally. and
1: it and was captures so that awesome. so well and I, honestly like i think there's the way in which certain aspects of it like <laughs> this is kind of like do, I want to say this. I feel like there's certain aspects of it that are like relatable almost where I'm like
0: a hundred percent.
1: Right. It's like, like watching, especially watching him like in the creative process, like getting a bit too wrapped up in uh, the idea that if he's undisturbed, he could do something great. But then the moment somebody comes and breaks his concentration, he kind of like loses it. And I feel like everybody can sort of relate to that. Oh yeah, easily blaming somebody else for your own like downfall or no. That's why it's so amazing is because it really is
0: relatable. Like uh, I I had um so he's it's relatable in that part. I had it where it's not just if you're a creative type, although that's the angle they're going on this. Where um she keeps coming in with this chipper like, "How's the writing going today?" (laughs) And if you've ever had like writer's block, you know how that can like especially if he's been there for months struggling with it and just like over time, like that grading, like, you know, goddamn well, I haven't gotten anything done today. God damn it. You know, <laughs> like, you know that starts to drive you mad it's like and he's a huge dick about it don't get me wrong don't talk to your wife that way but i think
1: that's i think that's kind of the horror of it is like he's such a huge dick and then you're like kind of relating to him on some level and thinking like is that me am i that big of an asshole right but
0: you know you understand the feeling you know and yeah and also um you know because she's like she's like giving him writing tips she's like well you know if you just like let the words flow and it'll come right it's like what the fuck do you know about it (laughs) yeah and also, but also the other thing about it is that he's an alcoholic right you know he's stuck in this place there's no alcohol there like so let's this is a detour i think we're just going to play this one messy because it lends itself to that
1: I mean, there's so So, much to talk about. I know, right? This could go on
0: for hours and hours. Yeah, let's just just do it. So the job is to be the caretaker of the Overlook Hotel in the offseason for five months. And Jack Torrance, Jack Nicholson, his wife, Wendy, who is Shelley Duvall, and their son, Danny, who is played by Danny Lloyd, who I have not seen in anything else as far as I know. Has anyone else seen Danny Lloyd in anything? No. Not that I know. Not of. that I know. I mean, of, yeah. Maybe I
1: can look it up really quickly.
0: Yeah. Uh he was uh okay, but the point is
1: this job no, he's become a, an American farmer high school teacher. Okay. Well, this job, you know, you're
0: you're out there all alone and you're completely cut off from like any source of this is pre-internet, like, there's no entertainment, there's no escape, there's, like, the TV with three channels. But, you know, like, of course it drives you mad. You know, you're, you're surrounded by the same two faces every single day. Like, you know, and he doesn't have alcohol as an escape valve. He's got that pressure kind of always building. You see his, when he finally does take that drink... You know when the hotel offers him the the bourbon, yeah, the way he responds to it is just so like you know orgasmic, yeah, it's like sure. it's
2: very relatable, yeah, 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 <laughs> I think Justin made a good point when we were watching the movie, too, which is like there's that moment, just to touch on how you were saying he kind of snaps on his wife when she's like, "How's the writing going one too many times?" and you know there's that moment where he she does that and he responds to her really badly and you kind of realize like oh this is the beginning Mm. and um justin was like you know to me this is the most is the most terrifying thing of the movie is being a spouse and realizing like being in this place and being there only with your spouse and your son and realizing like you're kind of losing your spouse yeah
1: and and being like oh this person that I thought I knew I don't actually know yeah. them, and I'm stuck here with them and who knows what could happen and how bad it could get and like
2: because yeah. in the moment Wendy yeah. kind of I think she realizes realizes yeah. it too she said she's like oh oh okay you know and kind of tries yeah. to like back out a little bit um so yeah it was a really interesting point I thought what did we think of her Shelly Duvall I thought she's fantastic. Yeah. She's
1: so believable for in sure. this character, even though there's like arguably not that much to the character or something like, well, there's the, been some criticism that
0: especially compared to the character in the book that she's a little too weak. Mm-hmm. But is that a
1: directorial thing or is that the way that she brought the performance?
0: Um you know, I think it was a little bit of both. I saw that it, it the character was changed to be like that, but also
1: that that's how she played it. So Well, she I, I read that she she really didn't get along with Stanley Kubrick and that they that struggled too. a lot during the shooting of this.
0: Well, uh one of the reasons why is that um so Stanley Kubrick is one of those ultra perfectionist directors who huh. does tons and tons and tons of takes of things in order to get it just right and oh the rewrites yeah I'll mention that in a second but uh one of the scenes the scenes where Jack Nicholson is menacing her on the stairs which by the way is a scene I had seen before at least clips of but seeing it in its entirety I thought was absolutely one of the best things I'd seen yeah from Jack Nicholson
2: it's really powerful or in the
0: movie or i was just so blown away from it mm-hmm. blown away by it i just anyway it was absolutely incredible um they had to she was forced to do retakes of that scene 137 times oh my god uh and that is i believe still the guinness world record for the most <sighs> takes Whoa. to have to do so yeah the he was like breaking he's like for this onset. for this movie
1: we're gonna do every scene 237 times <laughs> so, <laughs> we, ha- we have to
0: get the ants crawling across your face as you lose consciousness it's like that kind of perfectionism is not it's not even called for like you don't need that many takes it's you know and so I could see why she quarreled with him
1: you know there's some a detail and I, I know like I'm kind of steering us again away from the plot discussion, which we can go back into. But um, this is another thing I was thinking in the opening scene, the interview, um, I was thinking about the fact that you had like listed off all the major plot points and had a really good idea of how the movie was gonna unfold. I already knew it, but I was watching that, it like that scene with this in mind. And it almost seems like there is a directorial choice to make the actors act like they're aware that the the viewer knows what's going to happen <laughs> does that make sense like how so i don't know i was like watching the interview and, and they're kind of like like as the as the um who plays the interviewer like the the Ber- director or the is it barry nelson director is that of the, the- all yeah the director of the the director of the hotel when he's interviewing and he's starting to say you know like talking about having nice isolation set, yeah. yeah he's like the isolation can be difficult for some people and there's just like this unsettling like just energy about the way they're interacting which is a little bit like the same way i imagine david lynch directs his actors into acting mm. like People don't behave normally. Like they're all behaving a little bit strangely and it makes you wonder what's going on. And it almost felt like they were behaving in this way that was like they knew something bad was going to happen or letting on that as if you were, you know, something bad's going to happen already. So just kind of playing with that anticipation a little bit. Yeah, I saw that. It makes for really, it makes for like a, a movie that has a lot of rewatching value.
0: Yeah, I also noticed that, um, and I saw that apparently there are a lot of little inconsistencies in the film, but um, the name of the guy who kills his daughters is given as Charles Grady, but later Mm -hmm. on he introduces himself as Delbert Grady.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh. So what's up with that? True. I didn't realize that.
0: Well, what it could be is, um, Ben, you mentioned that there would be a lot of rewriting, on this movie, they were rewriting the script constantly, like every single day, to the point where Jack Nicholson got super frustrated by it and just threw his script out and just said like, just hand me the pages when I wake up in the morning and I will do those. (laughs) Like I'm not memorizing anything anymore because you're changing it
2: so much. Like I'll just do what is available today. You know how, um, on this point though, you know how, like I feel like the message of, not the message, but sort of one of the main points of the movie is that it seems like this caretaker is the story of the caretaker, you know, the murders, the the going crazy, you know, that seems to be your perpetuating thing over time. And so maybe like um, Dilbert, Dilbert Grady, is that what you said? Delbert Delbert Grady was mm. the was the first one and that's who you meet in the bathroom, his spirit. but Charles Grady was a subsequent like the most recent one before mm. Jack Nicholson mm. showed up. Do you know what I mean? like maybe it's that's what I mean by that kind of perpetuating caretaker loses his mind. I, I don't and know if that's true, but that's kind of how I read into it. Don't forget
0: the overlook was, was built, built on an old Indian burial ground right. Right, which I
1: yeah, there's a lot of theories about the the Native American like undertones of this movie.
0: Well, I don't know if you listened to our Pet Cemetery episode, which just came out. Not yet. Not yet. Oh wow, great friend. Okay, so um, (laughs) I've been busy. That one also features uh, a Stephen King penned old Indian burial ground, and for that. I got curious and checked out when that started popping up in pop culture as a trope. And it wasn't that common before the Amityville horror in the late 70s. And then after that, it started showing up all the time.
1: I mean, also in It, this yeah and that's a component in the yeah old, uh,
0: old indian burial ground became like a major thing it, it was like a fad for a while you get it in a poltergeist you get it in pet cemetery i guess you get mm. it in this like and it first emerged in Amiable horror as a major uh, like a prominent pop cultural thing yeah, yeah. Huh. but
1: did you did you notice like well you yeah, have they mentioned it uh, the The, the uh, director of the Overlook Hotel mentions it when he's giving the tour, but then the flooring in the hotel has a lot of indigenous uh, like tribal looking designs and patterns. Is this the and rug thing? I, I've not, not the rug the rug like, oh, I keep hearing that the pattern flooring. on the rug means something. The pattern on the rug, I think there's some sort of uh, it means we didn't land on the moon, right? Yeah. Well, there's that. There's that, and then Danny is also wearing a sweater with Apollo. Apollo, 11, yeah, yeah, I saw that. On it. And people think that that was Stanley Kubrick's like sly way of admitting that he had staged the moon landing. <laughs> it's, in a so yeah, it's, it's so genius. Yeah, so brilliant. Yeah, um, but there was also one point in which Shelley Duvall is wearing this fabulous little. Oh, coat, her sartorial choices
0: throughout <laughs> the film are just. Yeah, her clothes are great
1: <laughs> but yeah there's this one coat that also has i i believe like tps and like different indigenous looking designs on it and so oh, it just felt like there was like a few
2: little nods i will this. argue though that the old indigenous buried uh indigenous um burial ground i guess i should say because i'm not saying indian burial ground but it's we we typically use the word indigenous in, in canada, canada so in the states i guess native American. we wouldn't say indian but, well it, um to but, but calling back then, it by the proper is name is one well. thing. We're just talking about the name of a trope. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, um, but that, I feel like that's so unnecessary in The Shining. Like, The Shining would have been scary to me, even if that detail was removed. I felt yeah. like, I don't know. Like, I felt like it was so totally unnecessary. Well,
1: I I don't know, because I think that they're speaking to, I mean, in terms of what was written, I think... The idea is that there's actually a spirit that is driving all the caretakers into a murderous rage. And maybe that is coming from an unsettled place of, you know, seeking vengeance after Hmm. the- uh, Well, moving
0: into another cast member, we have Scatman Crothers as- uh, Halloran. Dick Dick Halloran. Um, First of all, did we like his performance?
2: Yeah, Yeah. I thought he was effective. <laughs> uh, I like thought, I it, was, liked I his thought art. it was a
1: pretty it was a pretty nuanced yeah. performance in some ways yeah. like uh you for a while it was hard to tell if he was benevolent mm-hmm. or, or mm-hmm.
0: I know the first part when he initially has mind contact with Danny, yeah. I was like this comes
1: across as creepy as hell, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. but then he actually unfolds like uh a lot of infor- useful information about what the shining really is, yeah, yeah.
2: he also was you Know the hero of the movie, too, in the end, yeah, well, right up he until is... he isn't. No, I know, but he, but they wouldn't have been able to leave unless he came because he yeah, brought them yeah. a new uh snow cap or whatever. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, he is kind of the hero. Um, also, a trope,
0: too, is um, the fact that he is there's so there's one trope which is called the magical black man, which is um, uh, a black character who is more tapped into the magical things of the world than the white characters and is able to explain them hmm. um, and usually serves as a kind of mentor figure to a white character. And then the other trope, of course, is that in horror movies, the black characters always die. Right.
1: So but there's, there's also a parallel between his character and I mean, in terms of like the victims of colonial oppression in the United States, it's like, do you A think that's man. what they were thinking about when they made the movie? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just observing this parallel, right? Like, maybe there, maybe in the book there was some sort of, like, link in Stephen King's mind. Well, he survives in the book, apparently. Oh, really? Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. He
0: only gets wounded. Huh. Um, so, we get him, and we get all of this creepy stuff with him talking into his mind. But then he talks about how the hotel has a shine of its own right and so as you're saying the hotel itself it kind of has all these residuals of all these terrible things that have happened there that have kind of like amassed in the place and given it its own kind of it's become like a, a pit of despair i guess uh-huh. and it's like amassing all of the these negative vibes so you know it could be that before there was a burial ground. It was a place like this. And, you know, that's why it developed that reputation. It's basically just like a, a black hole. It has like a, a, its own gravitational pull for negative, shiny stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When Jack is talking to Grady in that amazing bathroom mm-hmm. during the oh, ballroom yeah. scene, i take grady to basically be like an avatar of the overlook hotel and the grady drops the n-word during that scene oh yeah both, several times and i first of all i was taken a little aback by it yeah. but then i was also like why would a hotel be racist <laughs> true. And I mean like I understand that like hotels like as institutions can be racist, but I was more like why is this building racist? <laughs> right. Like like what is the you know how did that happen?
2: So I don't know. It just You know what's inter- you know what's interesting about that scene is that so the whole sequence from when he's he gets up from the bar and then Grady runs into him and spills the I think it's avocado on him. And yeah, then, and then That's needs the to take spell being laid. Yeah, and then needs to take him to the bathroom. That whole scene is actually cut from the, I guess that theatrical version. Are you no sure? way? Yeah, like I because I've seen previous versions of that movie, or, or, but when I've watched The Shining before, that scene is not in it. As far as I can, as far as I remember, like I remember last night thinking I've never seen this scene before.
0: Oh, that's fascinating. Because I, when I watched that, I was like, "This is the scene. This is where really? the point of no return scene, where the hotel has finally like gotten him." Okay. You know, it's been working on him the whole time, but this is the scene where it's finally got him under its spell.
2: Yeah, I, yeah. I was I because I, I I definitely remember being like, I do not remember the N word in this movie. So I was a huh. bit, you know, I was a bit surprised too. Oh, interesting. Okay.
1: I don't know. I mean, I'm-, I'm I could be wrong though, I'm but I- am looking really quickly just to see. Uh, I don't think, I think that scene
2: is in both. Okay. Somehow I've never noticed it or what? I don't know. You can you can cut all this out if you want, Dave. <laughs> <Yeah>. Well, <laughs> I mean, maybe- yeah. It's always an option for anything. I had, <laughs> but um...
1: I had the same experience where I was like, I don't really remember this this particular scene. I mean, we watched Dr. Sleep recently, which I think it's it's not nearly as good a movie. I think it's like kind of a fun thing to watch, but in some ways uh, makes a lot of things that are very vague and powerful because they're vague in The Shining. Yeah, it makes yeah, it them goes, very specific yeah. and goes into too much detail, naming and uh, portraying like aspects of what The Shining really is and how it plays out in different people and um, yeah so it kind of corrupts I think the power of this story quite a bit but it also fills in a lot of information and rewatching The Shining after knowing that information I was like oh actually there's more specific and there's it's, it's more specific than I had remembered and that was one of the scenes that spells it out a lot more
0: you lose a little bit of power once you take something that was ambiguous and make it specific like that totally like look at the prequel films in star wars you know it's like you have the force and then it's like well you see the midichlorians are these things in your cells that you know it's like oh okay yeah although I, i
1: it's like I think just looking at the lore and conspiracy theories and interpretations of the shining and how varied they are and how wild they have gotten. I mean, that is testament to the power of keeping things vague in a specific way. Yeah. So I had
0: a few questions that speaking of keeping things vague in a specific way, I had a few questions that I think I'd like to have resolved. (laughs) Um, number one so there's this amazing scene of Danny riding this tricycle through oh yeah you're right um and there's multiple scenes of it in fact Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. one of them has this awesome part where he's alternating on the floor to the carpet to the floor of the carpet there's this great sound sound design yeah so great um and it Winds up having the two girls and the awesome, like, come play with us, Danny. Like, mm-hmm. um, but he comes up onto room 237, and you know, he knows he shouldn't go in there, and so I was just like, would you be able to resist the temptation to go into room 237?
1: I mean. I don't think so. That for the same reason that if I was in the beast's castle, I would go to the west wing, you know? <laughs> if I
2: was Belle, if I was Belle and I just had to see the beast. I feel the same. I feel like if you, were, you know, it's that classic paradox of you're told not to do something specifically, you want to find out why. I guess I just I don't know. So,
0: like I'm a very curious person too, but on occasion, I feel like I can be blessed with a lack of curiosity. Such a way where it can keep me out of trouble. Like, you know, it uh, allows demons not to have leverage over me. Right? <laughs> I, just, I can walk away from something and be like, nope, don't care. I'll leave that <laughs> door closed. Um, So, you know. You're stronger it, than us, Dave. I, well, you know, maybe after five months I wouldn't be able to resist it. <laughs> this is the thing to the old woman in the room 237 was what? happened in ready player one mm-hmm. that i saw yeah. a little bit okay um my question but it's, is, it was would, still would powerful you, if you went
1: original. into room if you went into room 237 would you make out with naked Bat yeah. before seeing her decaying body oh i'd prefer the decaying body <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's when I got really aroused. It was like, Once oh, yeah. Sores oh, and she's laughing sores. at me, too. Yeah. <laughs> she can put a collar on me and <laughs> call it a day.
1: I didn't realize you were in necrophiliac yeah. with, with the humiliation fetish. fetish. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Um, no, uh, but actually, that reminds me. Um, so uh, Danny was warned not to go in there by Tony. And Tony doesn't seem like he's part of The Shining because Dick Halloran has no idea what the fuck he's talking about when he brings up Tony, which is this magical, invisible boy who lives in his mouth and talks through him and sometimes hides in his stomach when people are around. And so what the fuck is Tony
2: but wait Halloran though does say to Danny in their first conversation you ain't you ain't got no business going in there like I'm speaking about 237 so he hears it directly from Halloran too about not to go yeah in that yeah room. no I'm yeah. sure there's there is something but, wrong with it but Tony is his imaginary friend who lives in his mouth it's a I little
1: boy do you remember in Dr. Sleep I feel like they actually addressed it I think Tony I mean, no I don't remember. want I don't want
0: that explanation I want to know what- <laughs> Like what's I mean the I
1: okay because I don't actually remember what was explained to Doctor in Doctor Sleep. My interpretation was, um, it's someone else with The Shining, a real person who communicates with uh, with Danny, but Danny's too young to really know mm-hmm. how to uh, label all of these phenomenas, phenomena, phenomena.
0: So da,
1: da, he... da, da, da. phenomena. <laughs> so yeah i think that he just you know his explanation as a kid is to be like he's the little boy who lives in my mouth and like he's pretty creepy that's the way that he so creepy the way that he the reason he thinks he lives in his mouth is because he speaks through him Mm
0: -hmm. okay
1: yeah yeah so Um, i think it's like literally another person with the shining who's picked up on danny's existence and is trying to like help him
2: i guess in the same way that danny uses his shining to communicate with hollerin when hollerin is in miami it looked like the two of them were having a stroke yeah yeah but yeah it's like the same way
1: i think i think for somebody someone to communicate with someone else from a great distance using the shining is unusual and i think that's where um Halloran's like taken aback and realizes that Danny has like a very special version of this ability because he's able to communicate with him through really far reaches.
0: Uh, How old is Danny? Because isn't he a little old to be riding a a tricycle?
1: I thought he was maybe eight, like seven, six or seven. Are are you judging him on his tricycle choice?
2: Yeah. I had one of those as a kid. I was commenting to I loved it. How you can kind of sit back on that, like kind of low rider and pedal out front. So you were watching this movie thinking, I mean, at his
1: age, I was riding a full blown bicycle, no training wheels or anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. Get over it, Danny. I would have been on rollerblades going through that place.
0: <laughs> um, I also thought the one scene that I thought must've been the most fun out of all for Jack Nicholson to play is the one where it was framed really cool with the mirror where Danny comes in and he's like, don't worry, Danny, I'd never hurt ya." Mm-hmm. That was so scary. Yeah.
2: That whole scene
0: is terrifying. It is, but also kind of funny. Like he really seems like the Joker in that scene. Oh yeah. It I don't just... think he
1: gets funny. He, he didn't get funny to me until honestly, like the very end when he's on in a full blown murderous rage, he starts getting funny to me for some reason. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, it is. It is scary. Don't don't doubt that. But it just, you know, I thought it just like being able to act that insane. I feel like must be a lot of fun in some ways, especially for someone like Jack Nicholson. At least I assume. I don't know the guy. Um, Definitely. One other thing I wanted to point out, which is that, so around the same time that Danny goes into room two three seven. And something happens to him. Jack has a terrible nightmare about murdering his family. Yeah. And it really, really upsets him. Yeah. And so that really got me to thinking about how much of what happens in the movie is really Jack's voluntary decision making. Mm -hmm. And how much is it? the hotel acting on him and acting through him because in that scene, he is so upset and disturbed by this nightmare of having hurt and killed his family. And it seems like he really doesn't want to do this. You know, he's absolutely, you know, he's, it was a nightmare. I'd hurt my family, but you know, the hotel is just like putting all of its paranormal weight and power into Corrupting his mind, and you know, doing all this. So, how much of what happens is really Jack, and how much of it is the hotel?
1: Yeah, that's such a good point. It's the only moment where you see him. You feel bad. Any sense? He seems terrified. Mm -hmm. It's also the only point where he has any sense of compassion or seems. Like remorseful at all. It was that before or after he's like in the bar drinking? Before. before. Okay, because yeah. at that point, when he's in the bar drinking, he is has zero affection or compassion he refers to his wife as a sperm bank yes he does (laughs) yes (laughs) he does i I actually thought i was like
0: i didn't realize that they had terms like that back then i thought it was too early (laughs) that's a little modern
2: (laughs) (laughs) one thing about the bar so another thing that just and i were talking about at the end of the movie too is and actually this kind of speaks to when you said there's a lot of rewatch potential in this movie I feel like even though I've seen it so many times I really picked up on several things that um, I hadn't noticed before one was you know the difference in Jack Nicholson's attitude and personality really really early on so you know when you see the opening scenes in the interview he's kind of chipper and he's like really excited about the opportunity and and then just right after he's driving up there with his wife and his son in the car after he gets the job and his son asks is asking questions in the backseat and you can tell he's just like mad and annoyed and i don't know his his demeanor changes so quickly so fast and i hadn't noticed that before and the other thing is on the sign for the bar the gold room underneath the gold room it says it lists the hours that it's open and they call them the unwinding hours (laughs) what do you think the significance of that is well like Uh, this dramatic uh, silence silence. Uh, because because you know he his mind is unwinding yeah and and so the the double entendre almost of like you know after work you go to the bar you like have a drink drink. you unwind but it's they're called the unwinding hours like why wouldn't they just write opening hours like i feel like that must have been intentional
1: and for him
2: drinking is
1: is a a a mental unwinding
2: yeah yeah so i and i hadn't noticed that before on the sign and I, i was like pointed it out a few other clever things
0: that Kubrick did revolve around um how the movie is broken up into chapters or sections so the first chapter is called the interview and in this Jack arrives at the overlook and it's still in season and you actually see it full of people and This is good because by seeing it full, it helps you get a sense of it with people so that it seems more empty once it's not full of people anymore. Mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm. But then after having spent all of this time with them alone again, when he comes into the bar the second time and that bar ballroom is full, it kind of shocks the eye to see the the full room of partying people
2: so that was a a bit of cleverness and you've also already seen that room empty once before because he goes to the bar the first time and it's completely empty and it looks huge yeah so it looks
0: wrong to you now this time yeah yeah absolutely and also they're out of time it's all 20s look it's flapper people so you're like what the fuck
1: and i mean everybody from the you know the flapper era is dressed to the nines, as yes, they say, they are. and like, it's so well yeah. put together. Everything is so like beautifully ornate, and then Jack Nicholson's character is disheveled and falling apart. And
0: yeah, it's visually a little off, disjointed. Yeah, the other cool thing is that um, they make incredible use of smash cuts in this movie to the following chapters. Like multiple times someone will say something or something will happen and then it will smash cut to the next chapter. Like Mm -hmm. uh, the first effective one I noticed was Shelley Duvall explaining the perfectly ordinary, nothing wrong, (laughs) totally something that happens every day incident where drunk dad broke little Jimmy's arm.
2: Like- dislocates his shoulder.
0: Yeah, he, our poor Danny's <sighs> yeah. shoulder is like,
1: could it happen to anybody.
0: Yeah. You know? and, then and then it's it was like, like Monday. Smashed. Yeah, exactly. I was just like, he, oh, that he was says
1: does he use the exact same phrase when he recounts it to the bartender the first time he's in the bar? He he,
0: he does. He downplays it for sure. He does he down, say something where he like minimizes it. Yeah. He yeah. minimizes
1: it. Yeah, I just thought a that few was few
0: little extra ounces of pressure.
1: Yeah. That's why I was wondering if that bar scene happened like after they um after he wakes up from that (coughs) that dream and he's like full of remorse and then he's like in the bar talking about like his wife so terribly and then talking about it you know this incident hurting his kid as if it was like not a big deal and it's like such a stark contrast
0: well i think part of it is that he's starting to get drunk and so you're starting to get into drunk dad abusive dad uh Mm-hmm. Starting to apologize for, him, or just starting to justify
1: himself, Dad. Like his his little uh, mental acrobatics to right. defend himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come to the surface, um,
0: include you know. And she, of course, doesn't want to be seen as staying in an abusive relationship, so she does the same thing with the doctor. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But the other cool thing about the um, chapter titles is that as the movie goes on, they start to speed up. So it starts with like one month later, then it's like, then it starts getting into days. It's like Tuesday, Mm -hmm. Wednesday, Thursday, and then it starts getting into hours. It's like Mm -hmm. 8 AM, 4 PM, you know, they just, they progressively speed up. And so it kind of within you, you start to like be like, Oh my God, things are starting to really happen. You know, like (laughs) uh, I thought that was, and even if you didn't notice it, on the surface subconsciously, maybe you did. You know what I forgot to mention that I totally knew about, but didn't say in the prediction section, red rum. Oh yeah,
1: right. red
2: rum. I think I actually commented on that last night when we were watching. Yeah. I was like, I can't believe when we asked Dave, he didn't say, he didn't mention the red rum. Oh, when I saw it, I was so pissed. I was yeah. like, Yeah, oh, I God think I it. did. I said that last night, that's funny.
1: I thought it, I thought red rum showed up earlier in the movie and like yesterday I was kind of waiting for it and I was like oh wait it doesn't actually happen until much later I thought it happened before they were even in the hotel like he was writing it on the wall at their house or something I think in the Simpsons thing it happens
0: way earlier right Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm thinking of the Simpsons one of my uh, favorite comedians named his dog Rummy because it's short for red rum who's that Anthony Jeselnik oh I don't know I don't know him check him out he's awesome And then I also just coming back to Tony, a question I had was, well, not even a question. First of all, when you're a mom who's got a husband who's going crazy and you're afraid for your poor little boy, I imagine the thing you most want to hear him say is, he's not home right now. Mrs. <laughs> as far as... Yeah. That'll just really add to your sense of emotional cool.
2: Yeah. You got to, you start to feel pretty sorry for Wendy um, around that time. Cause you're like, she is literally alone. <laughs> like everyone has checked out.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's what I'm wondering. Like, what the fuck, where did Danny go?
1: What's he doing? I just feel like Wendy got the shit end of the deal from Mm -hmm. the very beginning. Like she's, she's like, Oh, I have to move into this empty hotel for five months. And even though my husband is hired as the caretaker, I'm the one taking care of everything. Like, yeah, I noticed that she's doing all the work in a a boiler room, like in the operator's chamber, like communicating with the local Mm -hmm. police officer. And then like, he told the people they're going to love it. Yeah, Yeah. your
0: wife and kids. Oh, they're going to love it. They're going to love
1: it. (laughs) Your wife has a degree in engineering, right? Because she's going to need it for this. (laughs) Like,
0: (laughs) She's like, oh, yeah, she's an electrician. (laughs) But fucking like Tony, Danny isn't even the main character. Tony is running his body for damn near half this movie. Right. Where is Danny? Scatman Carruthers is already on his way. Like, Mm -hmm. what?
2: What does he need to do at that point? Where do you go? Good point. I I kind of took it as like Danny, Danny as a kid, feeling so scared that he almost like suppresses his consciousness, and it gets taken over by you know whoever Tony is, whether it's like another person with the shine shining or. And so that's kind of how I I took it almost. I mean, I I feel like the
1: child, the (laughs) psychologist,
2: I think, you
1: know, you could imagine a psychologist would be like, oh, he's living a traumatic event. So Mm -hmm. he's regressing or shutting down to protect himself. But I think if you want to think about the shining, bringing in this external person that really exists, maybe they are thinking this is not safe for Danny. I need to take over in order for him not to have to see this.
2: It's also, I feel like really interesting too, because you think of Tony... I mean, Tony presents as like a sinister thing for most of the movie. And then Tony kind of ends up kind of like saving Wendy yeah, he's and Danny, out. right? Like yeah. warning that Jack Nicholson was coming and get him so that they Red react. rum is a, an alarm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I it's mean, kind of interesting the switch, I thought. I always thought.
1: Tony tried to save them from the very beginning. He was feeding these images oh, yeah. of what we're going to happen. Don't go to, the hotel. to yeah. the hotel. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah.
0: He's it is, like it is a cool kind of switch with him. He, mm-hmm. It's mostly the voice. I know. a <laughs> finger. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. The <laughs>
1: finger is pretty weird. <laughs> Do you know that in Doctor Sleep, uh, who plays Danny as a grown-up?
0: It's uh, Ewan McGregor, right? Yeah. That's yeah. Right. yeah.
1: yeah. He's grown-up Danny.
0: Who I think also, if you look at his face, I think looks good as someone who would be Jack Nicholson's son.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a good. No, point. I thought it was a good casting choice too. I'll say.
0: Yeah. Well, so I'm starting to come to the end of my notes. I have here just again the all work and no play scene. Uh, just what an incredible scene oh, it yeah. is. Yeah, like, that it really was is. that was so scary it, too. The his music, like, oh. and and his performance and her performance are just. I was riveted by yeah. it. I yeah. thought it was amazing. Even having seen parts of it and knowing what was going to come. I also like that she gave him the bat.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. The one thing I noticed, I, I sort of, I, I guess I noticed it before, but I, it sort of somehow meant more or something or seemed more um, scary to me this time was, you know, she's flipping through all of his pages where it's, you know, all it says is the that one iconic line, but the indentation and everything is written as if he's actually thinking he's writing like a story yes. or a play like and I, I noticed that before but i hadn't thought it was so so creepy and so terrifying but as i saw it this time i was like that is insane!" is it's got formatting that, yeah yeah like i, I think was that's
1: actually a really important so important yeah absolutely it, it, it like yeah it totally exposes the potential experience that he's had. disconnect completely like completely different like and also the build up to that scene like seeing him writing and writing and writing and mm-hmm. feeling like he must be getting all this like progress made and she wants to read it and he's like no like you could tell that he's like oh dude i don't want you to read it like and you kind of relate to that because you're like oh it feels invasive it's not for her to done really it. it's not done mm-hmm, yeah and then when she does glimpse it and it's like he's just writing the same
2: sentence over and over again but and- it's so 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 much more scary than if it was just a line written at one after the yeah. other on each page like- and it goes
1: on for so long like yeah. i was <laughs> thinking like at, at some point she's got to be like uh <laughs> I can expect now that it's all going to be the same thing because she goes like page after page after page, but it sort of reinforces the shock that she would have and like the craving to see something other than that, Mm, that, Right?
2: Yeah. Yeah, she goes through like at least, you know, 40 pages or something, I feel like.
1: There
0: is uh, one thing that the Simpsons parody of this does do that I don't think they should have done it in the scene, but it's a clever addition that, you know, if there's ever something that does a similar scene can do to be scary which is that when marge is flipping through the pages once she's made the realization then there's a lightning strike and mm-hmm. when the light comes in she sees that he's written it all over the walls as yeah. well mm-hmm. Yeah, which yeah. i thought was uh cool mm-hmm. so that was nice um i thought it was interesting that um so when he's locked in the the closet Grady speaks to him.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Grady can interact with the physical environment. Right. Yeah.
1: It, yeah he can he, open the door for him, yeah.
0: What's up with that?
1: Well, we already know that because the old lady attacked Danny. Oh. So well I unless Danny
0: actually did it himself like the right. overlook put him in a trance or
1: something. Right. Right. I guess I guess maybe as like a a choice that's like a tool to show you that it's real it that it's real yeah Mm. and Um, i mean the i guess jack also encounters the old lady as we know but he pretends that he did not and it
0: also that could still also just be a vision true so the snow cat arrives with uh dick halloran he dies hilariously quickly
2: (laughs) yeah very very fast and with a chucky like scream that like <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and you know, in saying he's the hero, he not only brings the snow cat, but he but the moment he arrives, he really he couldn't arrive Wendy. at a better moment because it pulls, um, yeah, Jack Nicholson away from from uh, Shelley Duvall in the bathroom.
0: And we should call out the shot too. Just it's not only the "Here's Johnny," but the the her face when he's yeah. chopping through the door. Wendy yeah. Duvall has such an incredibly open and expressive face throughout yeah. the whole thing. She expresses Both-
2: her, her horror so well
0: but not just the horror like when she's happy when she's Mm -hmm. nervous when she's Mm -hmm. starting to get anxious about him like everything that's going on with her is right there on her face
2: yeah yeah more so
1: than in the dialogue yeah
2: yeah yeah that's also the scene where saying the cinematography is like the camera's following the head of the axe so like as he swings the axe back the head you know he goes out of view of the camera yeah. jack nicholson you just see the head of the axe and then as he swings it at the door the camera follows it and that that whole choice i felt like just it, made the impact It like just accentu- so
1: it accentuates the chaos yeah. at the moment
2: too because you're kind mm. of like
1: mm. you're lo- like the people the individuals are lost it's just like these events are unfolding and because you're tied or tethered to this like axe somehow it's like people are not no longer in control mm-hmm. these things
2: are just happening like that's how it felt yeah. I also about read the door, right? You were saying last night about the, the yeah, actual door. I
1: read this. I think there's like bits of trivia that have also become like pretty common knowledge and this might be one of them, but apparently um, initially they had prop doors to make it easier for Jack Nicholson to act through it, but he trained as a volunteer firefighter. So he would like go through it like butter and they actually ended up using a, <laughs> like, get a real door in it, here. <laughs> yeah. They ended up using a real door and <laughs> I mean, you can really see it, like the amount of effort that it takes for him to get through it. And he's got
2: pretty good form. It takes him like eight strikes or something or like 10 strikes. It's crazy. It also makes me respect Jack Nicholson more. (laughs) (laughs) Like,
0: good on you, trained as a volunteer firefighter. Okay, so we also get here the uh, Danny, Danny boy, like from South Park, Danny boy, I'm coming. (laughs) But what I want to focus on is the furry blowjob oh yeah what the fuck is happening
2: there yeah she's like you remember when i that's another scene i was like i do not remember seeing this scene like i think that one might have been also been cut from theatrical wait what you, you know you where the businessman's about? like being blown by like and oh he sits up and that, it's like a guy yeah, and like yeah. a yeah, okay. gopher it's like a gopher outfit whatever
0: it is he has one of those butt flaps that's undone yeah yeah
2: yeah <laughs> yeah i don't know that that threw me off too I mean what? I, I feel like shell I think it's like Shelly Duval she sees it she's the one who sees it and she's yeah. kind of running around looking for Danny and I guess at this point you, you know the the inhabitants of the hotel are like starting to appear to everyone. I guess it's yeah. like
1: they they saved the most twisted and dark thing that happened in the
2: hotel for us. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. most terrifying, just thing. the most yeah. horrific
1: <laughs> horrific event. has
2: been Blowjobs in this hotel. <laughs> hotel. It's like
1: people have chopped up their family members. People are murderous. There's been there's an entire burial ground here. And what's the worst? A furry blowjob happened in room two or three.
0: One thing that took me out of the moment, and probably should have been cut. She runs into that room of skeletons. Oh, yeah. They looked a little bit, uh, th- that was a little Indiana Jones. Yeah. I yeah, like, covered uh, in cobwebs <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I was like, we don't need this. This, yeah. th- that could go. But we finally get to the last part where uh Danny is running through the hedge maze, which he's had practice in. They took oh, yeah. the time to establish that. Good, good on him. Mm-hmm. Cool ass hedge maze, by the way. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It's so
1: cool. Beautiful
0: hedge maze. Yeah. Oh, exceptional i would kill for a hedge maze feature like <laughs> I would, that
1: i would kill my family for a hedge <laughs> maze like that
0: <laughs> uh but of course it's in the snow so uh he's being followed via his footprints but mm-hmm. kid's clever and so he circles back around and does the little jump back and makes yep. a fake trail and he uh, tricks tricks the guy into going down a fake path and he gets out uh They really do, at the end, I think, milk that blood elevator for all it's worth. That thing shows up like five times in this movie. Um, But they finally, uh, Wendy and Danny finally escape. And we get the final two images of the film, which I had seen before, which is Frozen Jack and Mm -hmm. Photo Jack. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. at least I know for the photo, there's a lot of you know, argument as to what it means. I've also seen it show up as part of a Key and Peel sketch, you know, Continental mm-hmm. Breakfast. You guys I haven't seen that. Seen that so no, it gets, no. You know, it gets referenced in that. Basically, any sketch that wants to end on a, like, Twilight Zone moment will yeah. kind of do the push-in on the photo. Uh, I have no idea what it means. I sort of feel like it means that like jack is part of the hotel now like yeah. he's
1: been swallowed by the history of yeah. the hotel
0: yeah it's and my, he just he exists too. as part of it like you know un, un, untouched by time he can like right you yeah. know manifest yeah. anywhere in the hotel's history now yeah
1: yeah and, which is kind of you know what's interesting is like considering how much that He's always See, been the caretaker now. Yeah. yeah, he's always been the caretaker. And that's, Which, what, that's what Grady was saying in the freezer. It was like, you've always been the caretaker. Or was it in the bathroom?
2: He was saying, uh, the bathroom? It was in the bathroom. But
1: what I think is really cool is the parallel between how much this, like, him as this role has become, like, so culturally significant and... Mm-hmm you know, as we've discussed, it's been redone and referenced and blah, blah, blah. And so it's kind of part of this like cultural zeitgeist that we have. And then also it's part of this like timeless history. Like you can kind of imagine like some, someone that would visit the hotel 10 years later and have the same kind of experience. Now he would be part of the ghosts that he would, that. Exactly. Know, encountered. Yeah. 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 And I
2: think this kind of supports Remember, we were saying how like, what, it was Grady, um, uh, Dilbert, Dilbert Grady or Charles Grady or and like I think now he's kind of like in that line of you know Grady's like the caretakers over time yeah. but they can be like interchangeable through time as you were saying
0: it's like the hotel is collecting Pokemon and once right. it beats you it's you're part of its Pokemon yeah. crew and it can deploy you
1: against the next At will next yeah. one yeah which, le- which leads me to my next question uh <laughs> <laughs> if Jack Nicholson was a Pokemon which one would he be Oh, he would be
0: a Charizard. That's what I was thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And Grady Mm -hmm. would, of
1: course, be a Squirtle. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and I kind of think that Wendy would be a Jigglypuff. Yeah. Oh, because she's (laughs) so,
0: like, scared all the time and she's sleepy. (laughs) Danny's
1: the Pikachu, obviously, because he's the hero. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or is Tony the Pikachu? Do you think it was Tony that was actually, like... you know, making Danny so clever in the hedge maze? No, I think Danny wasn't
0: back in charge by then. Okay. Well, because
2: there there were also the previous scenes where he'd been going through it with his mom and like, you know, remember? Yeah. yeah and getting a sense of the how to yeah. get in and out of it. And, That's yeah. true. And
1: when he, when, when he was like sliding down and exited that window or whatever, he started being like, mom, mom. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: All right. So here we are. We've finished our very scattered plot discussion, but I think it's fitting actually that it would be like that. Cause that's kind of uh, what the movie does to people. You know, mm-hmm. we went slowly mad just like Jack. Uh, but I do have a couple of quick fun facts, which is that on Rotten Tomatoes, this movie has an 84% from critics and a 93% from audiences. Nice. Actually, um, so reviews to this were not – they were okay when they came out, but they were definitely not as strong as they are now. This movie is considered, like, an absolute classic now. I read that,
1: too. Yeah,
0: at the time, they were much more mixed.
1: It took about a decade, right, before before it started, like, making all of these lists of memorable – Yeah,
0: well, I think it it had to do with the fact that, like, a lot of kids got really – scared by it and then started to grow up uh, and started to make these lists, you right. know, instead of the critics at the time who weren't as into it. And so It was a little ahead of its time. Yeah, I guess. Also rather famously, Stephen King hated it. Really? Right. Did you guys come across that? I, no.
1: did, I did come across that. I didn't. I mean, it, I, I don't know if he hated it. What did I? That seems I shocking. It, he, well, it
0: deviates from the book, from the book. quite oh. a bit. And in ways that he didn't approve of so um okay
1: so he said although the film was made with memorable imagery he said it was poor as an adaptation
2: okay so that makes that's yeah that checks with
1: he Hmm. rather um
0: notoriously prefers the miniseries adaptation that was on tv in the 90s to the stanley kubrick movie version the miniseries the, that no one remembers. Right, be, but <laughs> it's because it was closer to the book.
1: I mean, maybe it's better than the book. I, I really... Uh... <laughs> I, should,
0: I should read the book. Just yeah, I suppose. But, you know, so there's that interesting little bit of trivia. I also came across this tidbit, which is that... So uh, Kubrick wrote... Well, all right, so Stephen King... Adapted the screenplay for Kubrick first. Kubrick didn't like it. So he readapted it into a screenplay with the help of a. Diane. Hold on. Her name was. Diane Johnson. Right. Mm -hmm. And. She had this to say about the adaptation process. Among us, meaning um, real writers, The Shining, the novel, is not part of great literature. It is scary, it is effective, and it works, without further ado. But it is precisely interesting to see how a very bad book can also be very effective. It's quite pretentious, but it is also true that one has less scruples when destroying it. One is aware that a great work of art is not being destroyed. I mean, I feel like that's pretty
1: astute. Ouch, Justin. Not, yeah, I, I'm saying, as someone who has not read the book, <laughs> yeah. what I mean by that is I feel like. That but makes that's sense. the criticism
0: constantly leveled at Stephen King—that he's just trash airport novels.
1: Right. I and guess it's like
0: it's offensive to all of us plebe- plebeian, plebeian. Um, you know, readers of, you know, regular books that we're not reading great literature, just because it's popular with the masses mean, doesn't mean it can't be great. You yeah. Know? yeah. Touché. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I just think that's an interesting interpretation of, of why this is something that could be done to this book. Like, the fact that it's not seen as that great, whether it's great or not, like they didn't see it as great. So it gave them a lot of freedom to rewrite or edit in whichever way they could see fit and then take the story and adapt it into something that I think we could both say is a really great movie.
0: Yeah. It also maybe
1: explains King's attitude a little bit. Hmm. Maybe, yeah. Maybe he feels like he's been shot on. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of what that sounds
0: like <laughs> yeah. um lastly, let's just talk about money, so the budget was nineteen million dollars. How much do we think it made maybe a million dollars out of after nineteen put into it
2: oh like from from the money came out to today
0: well um hang on da, 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 da. Should, from from the original t-
1: until 2019,
2: maybe 100 million dollars until 2019.
1: I mean, does that include the sales of all of the uh, action figures?
2: <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, 100 mil. I'm going with 100 mil. I don't know. Actually, US. It seems like we're up until
1: 2019. I'm gonna say 350 million dollars. 47 million dollars total really that
0: is
2: shocking oh well, that's what i got from box office mojo I, I mean i believe it i just i'm i have to say i'm shocked i wildly overestimated yes you did
0: but you know a lot of that is from like 1980s money
2: mm-hmm. so you know probably I'm, i didn't this movie this movie also opened the same weekend as um the empire strikes back
0: Oh fuck.
2: Did it? Yeah. Let me. Yeah. So, I mean that, that's got to dig into your, you know, your revenues for the, at least for the opening
0: opened the same weekend as empire strikes back. Oh shit.
1: That's horrible. (laughs) Yeah. Like what luck? (laughs) Oh my God. It was, yeah, this is from the same paragraph that you're probably reading, but it was the third highest grossing opening weekend from fewer than 50 screens of all time behind star Wars, and the Rose. <laughs> oh, what <laughs> fuck is the Rose? The Rose is that movie with Bette Midler, where she plays like a uh, like a rock star who's trying to make a comeback. Isn't the Wind Beneath My Wings like from the Rose? Whatever, sure.
0: All right, guys. I think we've talked out The Shining. All that is left is for our final opinions here having gone through it so thoroughly what do we ultimately think of the shining as a cult- cultural product
2: go i think it is an essential piece of cin- cinema that everybody should see absolutely i yeah it's it's better late if we're going on that you know that metric i would say it's better early
0: <laughs> oh shit <laughs> Well, and then, of course, there's me, who's the only one who gets a vote in this one, by the way, because I'm the <laughs> yeah, one who hasn't yeah. seen it, all right? Back off. Um, so, Better Late means that there is something essential about the film, that it fills a empty space in your cultural bona fides that you didn't even know was there. Never means that, hey, maybe it's good, maybe it's not, but either way, if you go your whole life with never seeing the film, that's just A-OK. I am going to say that this movie is the absolute archetype of the better late I had come into this knowing everything there was to know about this movie it is so present in the zeitgeist there was practically no surprises to be had with this film I had absorbed almost every plot point every actor the director all of the this is and that's that there was to know about the film and I still thought sitting down and actually watching the film was a great experience and so i 100 percent think it's a better late definitely nice. watch it if you haven't seen it i love to hear it yeah and i'm happy to say it too because i i really wondered i'd never gone into a film i'd never seen before with so much baggage -hmm. You know, especially because it's so hyped, too. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, this one had a high bar to clear in terms of the way it'd been hyped up by people. So, and I'm pretty contrarian. So, you know, I go and I'm like, oh, really? But I really liked it.
2: You baggage? (laughs) You contrarian? Oh, har har.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, that was fun. That's a wrap. Justin, Ben, thank you so much for joining me. You're welcome. Thanks it was a pleasure. For having us, Dave. Especially on this movie. And for all of you listeners out there, I wish you a spooky Halloween. Ooh. 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 Sponsored by Macy's. <laughs> if you want to get in touch with us, please reach out at pod at gmail.com or you can tweet at us at betterlate underscore pod. That is it and we will catch you next time.
1: Bye. Bye. Bye.